Happy Veterans Day to all my veterans, all the past veterans, all the fallen veterans, current veterans, and any future veterans. Just want to say thank you. It was good serving with you, men and women. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing ride. So today, we're going to be discussing military life, how it was to be in the military, why I joined. Um, also going over how was it to be in a war at the age of 2021 20, go with things like that you know some fun aspects of it also the positive side and maybe some downsides of it so we're going to cover a little bit of everything i wasn't going to do anything today i woke up and i thought about it, so you know what i need to do something like this so uh especially on the podcast and and maybe somebody who may be possibly thinking about joining may hear this and you know this may help them to make their decision to join or not so that's what today's show is going to be about again happy veterans day and let's start the show join I really didn't have a uh, a plan to join I didn't join I didn't really think about joining to my senior year and and I do come from a military background for as you know I'm most of my all my uncles was in the army my sister joined the army so um, I was told my father was in the military so it was kind of I guess you could say it's kind of my DNA <laughs> as people say you know it's kind of my blood to join but what really kind of got me to go because my senior year I really didn't have a plan because all I did was love playing sports hanging out with my friends <laughs> that was it man that was my thing sports and my friends and I played every sport except for basketball I couldn't play basketball I sucked I couldn't dribble can you believe that of all the sports but I played football I ran track I played baseball and I played tennis I played golf. I played with almost everything we had, and I was good at everything. I wasn't the best at everything. The best sport was probably my football. I love playing football. I've always started when I played football, except for one time. And the time I didn't start was because I wanted to wear ankle high socks, and we had to wear the long socks too. I needed to go out of uniforms. I refused to. My coach said, Well, you ain't going to start. So I didn't start that game, but I came in later. Trust me. <laughs> I came in later. <laughs> but, um,. But yeah, um, I love playing sports with my friends. So um, I wanted to, and I didn't say anything about college. I got a couple of letters for college for football. I never went to them. I never had support in anything that I did at home. Like I've done things from Little League football when I played for the YMCA Jets until I graduated high school. At middle school, I played ball, track. And not once has anybody ever come to any of my activity, not carnations, I was in drama for a little while, uh, banquets, you know, nobody from my family, I'm saying. So, I I, I kind of didn't have any other idea of what to uh, to do after I graduate. So, 
where I'm from, it was always recruiters in our neighborhood trying to get people to join from every branch. And they would actually, you know, talk to you, meet up with you while you're walking down the street or hanging out a plan, talk to you. Some would take us out to eat and they would give us like, you know, free socks or free shirts. So it was like, oh man, the army just took me out for a little lunch. And I got some free army socks, free shirts. You tell your boy, he'd like, oh, what? Then he kind of get in contact with them. They do the same thing. That's how it was, you know? So really, we kind of just doing it, your free stuff, right? So as, as it got closer for me to graduate, I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I get out. I don't know, I don't have any plan, but I want to play football. So I talked to a recruiter and I asked them questions of like, and I did, I did this myself. I didn't have no, no adult with me to, to advise me. I graduated when I was 19. And I know people say I was older, but I didn't, I never failed. I just, I, I guess I started schooling. I don't know. So, so um, I was already of age to, to do this myself. And, and that's what I was doing. I was talking to these people by myself. So uh, he was like, I'm gonna play football. Can I play football in the, in the military? And I ended up talking to the Navy the most because uh, I'll tell you why the Navy. So, so the guy like, yeah, you can play football in the military and everything. And I didn't know, I thought that was true, right? Something okay, so now I'm thinking I may I may do that, man. That way I can continue to play, play football after I get out of high school. So my man King Kelso, y'all know King Kelso podcast, you know, check him out. He graduated a year before I did. He joined the Navy. So knowing that he joined the Navy, and I'm thinking, yeah, I could play football in the Navy, that's really what and I had no other idea what to do and where I'm from, I know. If I stay there, then anything can happen. You know, I can go, I can go really deep south. I cannot come out. Oh, I could have got me a real good job. I had some uncle, my uncle was in the post office. He probably could have got me on, something like that. But I didn't want to stay at home. And I didn't like being at home because I it was just we had problems there. So I decided, okay, those are my things. I can play sports. I got one of my best friends. He joined. He's cool with it. So I said, let me go ahead and join. And that's how I joined the military. And that's the reason I joined the military. Uh, I always see a lot of people say that, oh, I'm not going military. That's losers that join the military. And like, I mean, there's so many reasons why people join. That's my reason why I joined. But some people might actually follow the tradition of their family and, and have a military background and all the brothers and sisters and grandfathers and fathers and you know everybody done been in the military they kind of want to keep that going you know some people want to join military for professional reasons to help get to get money for school um, to get the training you get in the military um, some people want to join because they know they get to travel around the world so people want to travel and, and while they travel they get a little job because the same thing is working pretty much and we'll go over that too later on, but it's a lot of reasons why people join. And what people ask me if I should join, um, I always tell people that I would ask people first to make sure something you want to do. You know, we don't make a lot of money in there, but because we don't have any really true bills, it makes it seem like we make a lot of money in there. Because technically, while you're in the service, you can always stay on base for free. So your money and everything, and even if you have a family, you get married, have a kid, they have base housing that you live on, 
everything gonna be paid for, you know what I'm saying? And, and so the money you're gonna have is really the money you're gonna have. So it makes it appear, appear like we make a lot of money in the military, we really, really don't. Uh, but the higher rank you get, you can make some good money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can make some good money. So people do it for those reasons. So there's a lot of reasons people join. And I never look down on people who want to join. I don't tell people not to join. However, I do tell people that it could be rough, you know. Um, and the hours sometimes can be long. Depends on what's going on. And um, it just kind of... It's kind of a babysitting situation for you because technically you're told when to get up, you're told when to go to bed, you know. But a lot of jobs outside the military do the same thing, you know what I'm saying? You kind of control by the job, you know, when you work, when you're off, you know, it's, it's worked the same way pretty much. But um, it's, it's a little downside to some people. I, I ended up finding out that it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me, but. Um, I still did my job correctly. I did it really good. I got some a couple of awards before I left. And even though I was getting out, some people asked me to stay. And I, I never even took the test to advance. I stayed the same ranking the whole four years I was in. Because I, I, I didn't even take the test at all because I knew I was getting out. Because this wasn't for me. Um, and I felt like that I can do, I felt like it was kind of holding me back from doing something that I really wanted to do. That's how I felt about it. Wasn't that it was a bad thing. I just feel like I could be out there doing something else when um, I can't, you know. I was really into music at that time. And um, and we used to have, uh, I, I was in a group and I, I, did a, uh, I did all the music and I did most of the writing. And um, now this was already in. This is before we went to Desert Storm. So uh, I did a, a tape and I sent it off to a radio station in Philadelphia. It's a record company. And they wrote back a letter. They were so excited, man. They're like, man, this is hot, man. This is hot, man. We want you and your crew to come down. And everybody in the crew, we, all, we was all military, yo. I want you all to come down to Philadelphia to the studio, like introduce all to everybody. So we start cutting, working on this album. Yo, it was like the biggest news I have ever had, yo. I'm like, like 20 years old at the time, man. Like what? We about to, we about to do it, man. And then we had, boom, Desert Shield, man. Desert Shield came up. We had to go out for Desert Shield first to patrol. And then of course, y'all know it turned to Desert Storm, the war started. So we couldn't go back to Philadelphia. And then when we got back from everything, everybody time was up. So now we all got different orders. So everybody pretty much broke up, separated. Uh, someone to different, different squadrons was put in a whole different state. And I never went back to address that. You know, I still did music. I was a mobile DJ after that and everything like that. but. I never got back to writing and pursuing that anymore. So I kind of always kind of felt like it kind of held me back in a way. But the good side about this is that I met a lot of great people, man. I had so much fun. I traveled. I had a very high responsibility at a very young age. And 
uh, and, and that was the positive side. I had money in my pocket. It kept me out of trouble. You know, I got to see things that I didn't even think I would ever see, man, growing up in the hood, man. So it changed my life in that perspective. It made me a stronger person. It made me made me to the point where I can feel like I can do anything and I cannot be all thought, all done. So it made me stronger. So the good things about it, and there's some not so good things about it. It's pretty pretty much how you look at it. So people ask me, should I join? I tell them now, nah, look, you have to make a decision what you want to do. Once you join, you're going to be committed to something that you can't get out. You never want to get a dishonorable discharge out of the military. That will ruin your life for a very long time. So you're committed. Upgrade, though. You have money in your pocket all the time. You got good medical. You have uh, a steady paycheck. You got a rent-free environment. If you decide to live out in town, they will even give you a per diem to help you pay for your rent out in town. That's what I did. So now on top of your paycheck, they give you extra money to cover your bills out of town for as rent and power. And I know to do that. So, um, you're traveling. So your decision what you want to do. Don't feel like you have to answer your only options. You don't have to only join the military to get these things done. You can do all these things you can do in the military on your own too. It's a harder road going that way. It's easier through the military if you don't already have a plan. But you can do the same thing on your own. So I kind of leave them thinking on both sides. I never persuade them to join, but I never really persuade them not to join. You know? So, but that's the reasons why I joined the military. about boot camp i'm not gonna make this really in depth just kind of quick all the things we did and some funny parts about it it's way more than i'm that happens and i'm tell you but i try to cover some main things about boot camp boot camp was eye opener i was in the navy i arrived at boot camp at midnight we got there some of us brought stuff with us like clothes toothbrushes things like that they threw that shit away <laughs> they're like nah uh-uh son you don't need that so uh, that night we got there, they issued us some underwear, socks, t-shirts. Uh, I believe they gave us dungarees and a shirt, navy shirt. Um, uh, 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 the bag they gave us, I believe, and I, gave, I think they gave us a blanket too. I want to say blanket. And they gave us some stencils because we have to stencil all our stuff. All our military stuff, we stenciled it with our name, which would be like Airman Brooks. That's my last name. I'm an airman. So we did that and then we went to sleep. About four in the morning, maybe five, these guys come in there with these black bands on their sleeves with garbage can. Bam. Get y'all asses up, recruits. And that's when it starts, right? That's when you're like, oh, hell, this shit is real. I am not dreaming. I really just joined the military. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here we go. So the first day is haircut day is shot day, yo. So we go down there. I had a little bitty afro. I had a ponytail in the back that was braided up. Uh, a lot of guys, there were long hair, a lot of white guys, Mexican guys, Asian guys with long hair. So we go and get our hair cut, and it's no love. They cut it completely bald. Yo, people are mad. People are upset. Some people was crying. <laughs> it was crazy scene, man. After we do that, we go and we have to get our vaccine shots. We get our shots. 
the way they did it back then, it was six people in, in a line, you know, uh, three on one side, three on the other side, and like a NASCAR driving pit crew, you had to walk through. As you walk through, boom, they had these guns that had a couple different uh, vaccines in it. it. Hit you with your arms. You go to the next two, both arms. Next two, they tell you when you're done, you have to go to the side and wait for your other company or your other people to get done with you so you go back together. While you're on the side waiting for everybody else to get done, do push-ups to make that vaccine circulate through your body quicker so that you don't pass out. Of course, you always have people who want to come in and act hard because the military, they ain't going to tell me what to do. They don't want to do it. They say, no, boom, people passing out left and right, yo. That's how it starts off on the first day. So, all right. Now, something we have to do in the forest training to get qualified for is so one was a swimming thing we had to do. Now, believe it or not, even though it's the Navy, there are people who still join the Navy who do not know how to swim or have never swim in their life. I don't know why they picked the Navy, but I'm sure they have their reasons, you know? So they had to do a swimming test. We had to jump off this platform and, and, and people used to laugh about the dungarees. I hated the dungarees because they had belt bottoms. They didn't like them either, but I didn't know they had a purpose. So the swimming test was, we have to jump off this platform. I think, I can't remember how high it was. To me, it was really high. I'm gonna say three or four stories. It may be a little shorter. It may be a little higher. I don't know, I remember. You have to jump off this platform, enter the water. It was deep. Go underwater, take off your dungaree pants, come up, tie them in a knot at the very end of the leg part. Take your pants, slam them down the water, they blow up and become flotation device. I'm like, what? My dungarees are flotation device? Oh, that's hard. So you had to do that. Once you blow them up and they become a flotation device, you got to use that to swim from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool. And that's how you pass. Well, there's some people who can't swim, <laughs> but they still have the guts to jump in the water. And these tra this training is done by seals. So seals don't have no heart, y'all. <laughs> they play too much. So, so these guys jump in the water, they get in the water and they freaking out, yo, they cannot swim. So the seals had this long pole that they put in the water, you grab it, they pull you in. Well, seals being seals, will put the stick out there and they grab it, they'll move it away from it. Or they poke it in the chest, grab it, grab it, they poke it in the chest, but they can't grab it and keep it in the water a little bit longer. So we all, we all cracking up and dying laughing. The seals are laughing, it's hilarious, right? So now, now here's the thing though. Those people who got teased and laughed at eventually came back and completed it. But later on, those people had opportunities to laugh at other people for other stuff. So everybody got laughed at at boot camp, yo. Don't take it personal. You know, so that's one thing we have to do. Another thing we have to do called the gas chamber. The gas chamber, we're going through this chamber about three at a time, and it is loaded with all this massive amount of tear gas. And you go in there and they ask you questions to see if you can still be comprehensive why under the influence of tear gas ripping your throat out, yo. So, 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 so we go in there, we go in there with gas mask on. You walk in there three at a time. The chamber is kind of dark. You kind of see the behind the glass. You see a little bit through this mist of tear gas. That's how thick it is, how much is in there. So you go in there with the gas mask on. It's okay. Take it off. Now you take it off. As soon as you take it off and you inhale, oh, your lungs, your lungs, your lungs are done. Your eyes are done, man. Like it's just burning your eyes, it's burning your throat. And then they ask you questions like, "What are your name? Where are you from? What's your mama's name?" And since I was master on with the second command, they kind of keep us in a little bit longer, ask us more questions. 
But some people, again, can't handle that stuff. They mentally just can't do it. So as soon as the mask come off and they inhale and their lungs get ripped out, <laughs> they are freaking out and screaming to get out. And they're trying to, they bumping into you and everything, but the, you can't really see in there. So they bumping you over, knocking you over and everything, trying to get out and they figure out how to get them out. And it was insane. So another thing we had to do, we had to do firefighting training. That was another insane thing, but a crazy great experience though. So what we had to do there, we get a fully fireman outfit. We had to go into this burning house. I mean, it's, it's, it's engulfed with flames. I mean, massive smoke, heat. So we had to go in there with this hose. This hose is so powerful that one person can hold it. So we go in there, a group of four or five, I think, it was, I think it was five of us, I think. We all had to grab this hose and it's so heavy. And you can feel the pressure of that water coming out this hose though. Like one person just cannot hold it. So we walk into this, this house that's engulfed in flames and massive amount of smoke. Now we only are arm length apart on this hose. We get to this house, you cannot see the person in front of you, yo. That's how bad it was. It was so hot in this place. So as you go on there, we have to relieve the nozzleman. It's called technique, relieve the nozzleman. That way the person's in the front who takes the most blunt of the power of the hose get released for a little while. So he drops off and moves to the back. We all move up one, okay? So we did it. But when you let go, you have to walk back and touch the bodies of the people to know where you're at because you can't see nobody. That's how, it's just crazy. So that was a crazy experience too, but a whole lot of fun also. Other thing that we used to get in trouble, uh, our punishment is PT. We call it getting mashed. PT is physical training, exercising. That's how, that was our punishment for most parts. And um, we always got in trouble for doing this. You know, either somebody leaves something open or or somebody just not doing their bed right. Usually everybody's gonna punish, get punished for it. But it's one thing that took very serious. Next to our bunks, we have these uh, a little side table that has two draws. One is an A draw, one is a B draw. Well, I can't remember which one is what, but one draw holds your personal stuff like your wallet, uh, personal letters you may have. It holds all that. If, it, if that get caught unlocked during the day, you can mash, yo, extra PT. Now, we was, on like the, we was on like the second floor, okay? My company had 75 people in there, so we all had one room, and all 75 people of us sat, slept in this one room. We had showers in the back, a little meeting room that we all meet up at, and a big, long table that holds 75 people, so we sit there and talk, whatever, whatever. One of the guys left his drawer open. It was the one that had the wallet and everything in it. My company commander found him. They made him take that draw out, go downstairs, and go around the corner to a basketball, basketball court. Put that draw on the basketball court. Every piece of individual item that was in that draw, he had to take it out, run up the steps back to our berthing, put it back on his bed, and do one push-up. Dude, he had change in there. He had letters that the individual's uh, pages in there. He had his wallet in there. It took him about two to three hours to get everything back up there. He had to do a push-up every time, dude. It was crazy, dude. He was like walking. He couldn't even boot. He's like crawling, y'all. He's like crawling, y'all. We was just cracking up. It was funny, man. There were other funny stories that when we had the galley, galley's where we eat, eat, eat our food at. In San Diego, that's where I was for boot camp. 
When you come out of the galley, right in the front is a bunch of seagulls always out there flying around and walking around, right? They tell you, once you get done eating, you come outside, jump into rank, I mean jump into a line formation and wait so we can get back to march back together as a group. Do not acknowledge the seagulls. They tell you that from day one, they remind you all the time. But one of our guys in the <laughs> in the guild, I mean in our, in our squadron, came out and gave the seagulls some bread. And the company commander saw his ass. Like, do we tell your dumb ass, don't mess with the seagulls? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. He's like, okay. We got, we got something for you. What they made him do, yo, they, this is breakfast time. They made him stand outside. And every time a seagull flew in, he had to salute the seagull, yo. It had to be at least 20 seagulls out there at a time with, with at least 10 coming and going. He had to do that until we came back to lunch, yo. This whole time, he had to stand out there and salute every seagull that. And we came back there with the, we just laughed at him. So it was so funny, man, to see him just constantly saluting, 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 saluting. This whole time, man, for hours, yo. That's the kind of mental stuff they did to you in boot camp. Also in boot camp, I learned a lot about people, man. That when I where I'm from is black and Mexicans. We have some white couple of white teachers. Only white people you see in your neighborhood are either Jehovah Witnesses, bill collectors, somebody buying drugs, buying hoes, and cops. That's pretty much it. So when I got a boot camp, I, I was around all these people, white, you know, black, light-skinned, Asians, Mexicans, just the different types of people. And I realized that things I used to say and games we play in Houston was not just made in Houston. I found that they did the same thing in New York. California, Guam, like what? You say the same thing? You play the same games? Did y'all steal that from us? I'm thinking they stole it from us. And it just blew my mind that we had so much in common but being so far apart. I became friends with white guys, Mexicans. It was this crazy thing. And I think I think today, that's why I'm the way I'm today with people. That I try to talk to people and be the same with everybody, no matter who you are, race, gender, sexual preference, whatever, I don't treat you any different from treating anybody else. And I think I learned that from boot camp in the military period, man. So that's pretty much boot camp in a nutshell. It was a crazy experience. Uh, it was a funny experience. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a couple of bad moments where one guy who broke, who mentally went crazy. He was a black belt. He woke up one night about midnight, kicking shit, breaking tables with his hands. It was insane. MPs had to come get him, take him out of there. I don't know what happened to him there, and he just lost it, man. So we had an incident like that, too. So those, those are kind of shocking things, but for the most part, so much fun, so much so much laughing going on, a lot of hard work, a lot of PT, um, and it was just a really unique situation, man. So, hey, that, that, that's boot camp in a nutshell. I was an airman, meaning that I was in an air wing. That means that we actually work on jets. That's what we did. Um, an airman is different from a seaman. A seaman, the boat is pretty much theirs. They are specialized in the boat. They, a lot of them live on a boat most of the whole time. Some don't, but most of them do. That's their job. But I was lucky. I picked airman. I'm glad I did because what that made me able to do, I was able to live on shore. 
our station in NES would be on, and I see in Washington State where I'm at now. And our boat was a USS Ranger, it was an aircraft carrier, but that was stationed in San Diego. So when the boat goes off debt, then we would fly from uh, Whidbey Island to San Diego, and then we'd go on the debt there on the boat, and then we'll come back to San Diego, and then we'll fly from there back home. So it's, it was a good good thing. I advise people to be airmen. But um, my responsibility was I was issued two jets, uh, two jets. It was A6 intruders. These are a bomber jets. You can. There's a movie that came out called The Fight of the Intruder. You can check it out. It's a good movie. Sorry. And I had two of them, uh, Aircraft 501 and Aircraft 502. Now, only two people's names goes on the plane. The pilots, the co-pilot, and my name. This is my plane. I'm responsible for everything on that plane. I'm responsible for the maintenance, uh, for us getting it checked. I'm responsible to make sure the plane's ready to go, make sure it's fuel, make sure it's clean. Um, I make sure that I have to inspect it for cracks. I have to make sure it's ready for flight. If not, this plane can go down and crash. Now, I'm 19, I'm 20 at the time, 21. I'm responsible for million dollar aircraft. Not one, but I had two. And that was my job as a plane captain. Call us plane captains. When the plane fly in, I'm the one to direct them in, tell them where to go, tell them where to park it. Um, I wait for parking. I, get, I do everything for this plane, except for the actual maintenance. But I did do phase work and did some mech shop too. So I do know how to do a lot of other things. And I also know how to do audience or audience because I learned how to do load up the bomb stuff. <clears throat> so that's my job. So so I mainly worked on the flight deck when we go out on deck. So the flight deck was insane, man. Uh, at that time, it was considered the most second, the second most dangerous job in the world. I think the first one at that time was uh, guys who built skyscrapers. I think the third at that time was the guys that go out fishing boats, right? So it was insane. Now my first time experience the flight deck, when you go on the boat for the first time, they're only supposed to take you out on the flight deck during night, okay? But in the military at that time, it kind of stick to your, 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 your brothers help you, you know what I mean? Like I had a lot of brothers in the line check and they want to make sure I get the correct training first. They feel like it's the same thing that always happen everywhere you go race thing. You know, just that's how just how it was. When it comes down board to we together, but at the same time it's some type of separation. And just in case it is, let me take you out there now and teach you how to do this shit correctly because you don't get taught by the right person. There's always gonna be some people of other races that are just not gonna be the same as other people. You know, we get to that too a little later. So <laughs> they took me out at nighttime for my very first time during flight time. Now on this boat, we do not use white lights because on the, in the ocean at night, a white light can be seen miles away. So everything we use is dark colors, like red, you know, like a yellow maybe, a green, a blue, but never white. And when you're on the flight deck and there's so much stuff going with the canopies flying off, planes are running and idle, we had F-14s at that time. You can't hear, it's so much noise, you really don't know where it's coming from. We have a plane that's called a Hawkeye plane, and that has propellers. It's designed to go very, very high. At night, you cannot see propellers, and you cannot hear propellers. Now, normally they have people that are with that company or that squadron on the front with lights you know, kind of wigging the wand around to let you know the plane is going. 
But if you're not paying attention and you're just walking, not paying attention, you can walk in these blades and get chopped up, man. Cause you can't see them, you can't hear them. But the flight deck was insane, man. So I go out there, I have to, <laughs> be on a boat, it smells like prison, yo. You'd be amazed. We wear, we wear dungaree pants. <laughs> we wear safety that you used to wear in prison. Uh, we got a gym, workout, bunch of guys, and that's it. And one of the things that when you go on a flight deck as a new person, you have to grab the back pocket of the person that's taking you on the flight deck, yo. <laughs> Something like prison, yo. So anyway, all right, so I'm on the flight deck. My boy take me up there. I got his back pocket. We had to get around this F-14 that is running. I'm like, what? So he takes me under. We duck under the under the uh, under the engine part. We come around. It was, it was just, it was just an insane moment, man, on a flight deck for me. I was like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. It was just so much going on, so dark out there. It was just so scary, man. I thought it blew off the end. It was just intense, man, on the flight deck. But as time gone by, man, it was one of the best places that I worked. Man, I loved the flight deck. I love doing what I did, but what I did was not a rate in the Navy. You only did it for a little bit and they expect you to move on. I love the position I had, man. That's one of the reasons why I got out too. If they had that as a full time, I would probably did my whole 20 years in there. But the flight deck was just so insane, so intense, man. But then the times like in the morning before we start flying, we have to do a thing called a fall walk down, a fall walk down. I mean, we look for foreign object debris on a flight deck. We started from one end of the flight deck, it's about 40 of us, 50 of us out there in one long line. We walked the length of the boat pretty much, looking on the, on the ground for any types of pieces of broken metal, anything that could fly to an intake of a jet that would bring it down. So in the morning we do this, and in the water, there would be hundreds of dolphins, man, just following the boat, yo. It's some of the most beautiful stuff, man, that you see in the flight deck, yo. And at night, now the, this, this ship is big, yo. I'm, a, I'm talking about a mini city. It is big and it's tall. At night, in the water, you see these glowing lights, like woo, woo, like glowing lights and the jellyfishes, man. Like, it's just insane, yo. Like, it's just so much things you see in the water. It's moments like that that just takes your breath away, man. And then um, we would do things like a little bit of demonstration for us of the planes and how they work and the power, yo. And, man, when you see something like that, man, and you can really learn and understand where your tax money goes for the military because the power and the skill that we have is so amazing. Don't you know, till this day, I think it was China just did their first uh, aircraft landing while the boat moved just this year. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you. They just learned how to land a plane on a flight deck while the boat is moving this, this year. I was in the military 89 to 93. We was already doing that shit. We can turn the boat and, and land it. Why this turning, yo? Also, if you look at the aircraft carriers from other countries, they all have to have that ramp on the end for the plane to go up. We do not have to have a ramp. It's just straight power flat. Since I've been in, think about that, yo. That's how much advanced that we are, yo. So, being on a flight deck was, was, was great. And they showed us the power and the technique, how things work with these jets. Like, we'll see a sonic boom from an F-14. And if you've never seen a sonic boom from a jet, 
it will get you excited, y'all. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. So we look, we, we, we outside looking for this F-14. He gonna do a flyby, sudden boom. We look to our left, we can't, we don't know where he coming from. We looking, we looking, we looking. And our far left, we see this speck coming. It's coming, yo. And it gets closer to where we can kind of make it out now. But then, I mean, and, and it's hauling ass, yo. It's going like Mach 1, Mach 2, yo. It's hard. Mach is like a thousand miles per hour. That's, that's a, a Mach is a thousand. Pretty much. He's going fast, yo. We, 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 we can see the plane make it out. All of a sudden, yo, it's going so fast, it kind of disappears off and on. Like, you see it, then you see this cloud of white mist. It's gone. It comes back, a cloud of white mist, and it's gone. And then it flies by you. You hear nothing. It just goes by you. Like, what the hell? About five seconds later, boom! The whole carriage just shakes, yo. It's the most amazing shit you can witness, man. And in that time right now, you're like, man, I am proud to be a sailor. I'm proud to be an American, yo. You're like, it just, you just change your whole aspect of it, yo. So, I'm like, God damn, man. So the flight thing for me, man, was uh, amazing things. And days that we want, some, some days we don't have flight days. So that day is pretty much getting your planes clean, getting the maintenance. Um, and you're pretty much on a flight deck the whole day. And you're just doing that. And if you're done, you're done. You just sit on a flight deck and hang out on the edge of the boat. We all land on the boat, talking on the edge, on, on, the, on, the, on the bow, on the stern, whatever. We're just hanging out, discussing it. The boat's riding. We're just outside chilling, man. And it's just so relaxing and so peaceful. And then you can smell the air, man. It's just a wonderful experience on that flight deck. But it also, it's a lot of hard work, man. A lot of hard work. One time we went to a typhoon, we had waves coming over the bow, yo. We had waves coming over the bow of an aircraft carrier. We had to go on the flight deck, put extra chains on our birds. We're carrying like, like six chains on one shoulder, six chains on the other shoulder. We had the flight coats on. On a flight deck, it gets up to 150, 160 degrees, yo. You lose massive weight. <laughs> massive. And so it's a lot of work. And we do 12 on, 12 off. But really, sometimes it's 14 on, 14 off. And that's our schedule. So it's long days, long hours, and a lot of work. But when the time when everything is calm, it's the most beautiful and relaxing moments, man, you can have, man. So that's the life of um, uh, working on a flight deck. Terry, I had no idea I'd be going to war. <laughs> like, it was peacetime, man. Like, it was like I, I feel like it was the perfect time for me to join right now because nothing's going on, you know. But things changed. And the first sign of, of getting ready to go to war that we had to do Desert Shield, where we had to do some patrolling first to show our muscle, whatever. Now, on the boat, we have a thing called General Quarters. Now, our security on the boat are Marines. So Marines ride with us on an aircraft carrier. They are our security. Meaning if somebody was to be get able to get on that boat somehow and try to take control of it, they would have to go through the Marines first. So we had a, 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 a drill that we, that we did, it's called General Quarters. At that time, when that drill is announced, no matter where you are in that boat, if you're in line for lunch, if you whatever you're doing, you need to drop and hit the deck. It doesn't matter who you are, captain, 
of the boat, whoever, you hit the deck. The Marines would come running down with their guns, rifles, and they coming down that, uh, down the boat fast. If you're up, when they do, they would knock you in your face. No matter you the captain of the boat, skipper, whoever. And that's kind of like they were getting back at us from teasing them all the time, yo. So everybody knew that. So he was serious in the boat. So we went to Desert Shield. Everything was cool. We thought, we thought everything was done, whatever, right? But then then now Desert Storm, right? Desert Storm in effect. So now our ship has to go over there and, and get ready because it's about to go down. Now we did the general, we were already out there for deployment. We go deployment for six months. That's, that's, that's where you put to go out to sea six months. Usually it's about three months straight with no land, and then we start pulling their port, whatever. So, but we are uh, already out there patrolling, and they said we have to go now because it's going down. So we have to go through the Straits of, I think it's Straits of Malakia, something like that, over there in, in Saudi Arabia, whatever, in that area. We're going to liberate Kuwait. Kuwait. That's what we're going to liberate Kuwait, where Saddam and, and was over there. So it got real. It told us, okay, from this point on, the next time we have general quarters, it is not a drill. They tell you that. It's going to be real. This is what you need to do, the steps and whatever you got to do, right? And we had to go through this straight where it has. It was so narrow that we had to make sure we, like, trooper tied down our planes on the flight deck. We couldn't take them off just in case. But we had to trooper tie them because we're going to go through this part full speed, yo. Full speed. Now there it is now. Desert Storm has started. We're going up to bomb people. We're the, we are one of the first to get to do, to, to do it. So we go there. We pass through, and and we finally get through that that, that tough part. We slow down, and, and we go up on flight to start getting ready. Um, what? I can't remember. I'm, I'm 20 or 21 at that time. Well, I'm 20 or 21 at that time. As I go on a flight that we clear up, we pull in. Man, this is when I knew we was at war, dude. The sky was so black, man. It was so black. It's where Saddam had blew up all the oil fields. All the oil fields was on fire. The water had oil in it. It was dead camels. We had some birds land on our flight deck. It was covered with oil. Uh, we ran into people and small little boats trying to get away because Saddam had released that oil on his people. So it was oil all over the water. It was just... Insane moment, man. It was an insane moment, man. And I believe we had three carrier groups over there, maybe four. We had a lot of power over there, man. One carrier group consists of an aircraft carrier. Down below us, there's two subs. And then around us, we have other things like amphibians, whatever, some destroyers, some other kind of ships around us. So we're surrounded too. That's one carrier group. It's like three or four out there, and it, it, the ocean is the world. The world is so big that you cannot see the other boats around you. <laughs> you can't see them, but they are surrounding you with the two submarines under you. Now, it may have changed strategies. Now, that's how it was first then. And one submarine can destroy, I don't know, continent. I think one submarine is just that powerful. Submarines are dangerous, though. So we get out there, man, and we see that man, and it's just. I just couldn't believe it, man. And then we're now getting ready to do our first strikes. And, and, and we load, uh, our, our guys who do the bombs, load up the plane with the bombs and everything. My plane is checked, ready to go. We get a launch start, it goes. And when our plane takes off, we go downstairs and our burdens, 
because we have TVs in there. We watch the news and we're watching like CNN, whatever. And it tells us the first strikes from the Navy just passed by, hit these specific targets. It was our planes, man. It was our planes that, that we, we did the first strike. My squadron, my plane, yo. And I was like, man, I mean, you know people are gonna die right here, man, but for the reasons they're gonna die and who we hitting, it's important. And you just felt, you just felt really, 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 really proud, man. At that moment, you felt proud, man. And it was just a really serious moment to to do that. And now, and then, once we get done, it was, it was a short war, and we end up uh, doing the last strike too. We did everything in the middle too, in the last strike. We had one plane go down. We was able to get the pilots back. They came back safe. We got them safe. Uh, but then, when it, when it was all over, and we started coming back, we started hitting port like Dubai. So at that time, Dubai was like it was now. Dubai was nothing like it is now. Nothing like it is now. But the people that was nice and everything. But we ended up going to uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. And man, we had so many people that was just talking to us and thanking us, man, for what happened. Now, right now, at the end of everything, we received these medals. We liberated Kuwait. And we, we got this medal called the uh, Kuwait, Kuwait, Kuwait Liberation Medal. That's how you lost it. That's how you lost it. It's a beautiful medal. And they actually made that there to give to us here in the U.S. Now, at that time, if you're in the military during that time, you can go to the store and buy the fake one. You can wear the ribbon. You qualify for it. But only the ones that were actually there received the one in actually case from Kuwait. And I think I might put that on Instagram. So check out my Instagram later. Today, it should be up there. All right. I think I'm going to do that. So, but, and, but, but, but that changed everything, man. Look at Dubai stuff now, man. Look how it's grown now. One of the most technological cities around the buildings they make, the things they do with it now. You know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, totally different, man. All that played a hand into that, man. It's a beautiful thing when you liberate a country and now they have all these rights, man. You see the change that you make, man. Regardless of what the purpose may have been, all or whatever, it was still done. And it changed the way people live over there, man. It's crazy. So being in a war at the age of 20, 21, was a shocking experience. Something that I didn't think I, I ever would do or have to do. But once you do it, and the reasons you're being told why you do it, and you see outcomes like that, it makes you proud. You know, it makes you proud to be part of that, part of a team. Um, it's just a great feeling overall experience. Getting out the military. Now, I wanted to get out. It wasn't for me. And I knew my second year that I was going to get out. But I also knew that regardless if I didn't like it, it wasn't for me. I'm going to do my job correct and do it good. I did it good. I got two letters of appreciation. From one was a Marine captain who flew in on an F-16. I helped him get his plane launched off. Um, and everything I did, I was requested to do a lot of extra stuff for certain things. So I did my job really, really well. 
but I still wanted to get out, and that's one thing I want to do because I want to get that honorable discharge. I don't want to get a dishonorable discharge. Man, ruins your life. So I did that. And once you get out um, and you go out to the real world, it is kind of scary. Um, but if you like more like my, me and I kind of wanted to, you kind of look forward to it. But and, and you don't really appreciate what you've been through until you meet somebody else who's been in, in the military too. And you start talking. And it's like this fraternity that you're always going to be in with people that you don't even know. And till this day, when I go places, and especially if I have one on my veteran's hat, and I meet another veteran, no matter what branch they're from, we always talk to each other. And, and, and you know what's, what's cool about that? It doesn't matter the race. And I believe that if I didn't have that veteran's hat on, I think some people of other race wouldn't even speak to me. You know, I, I do feel like that. And, but it's a beautiful thing, man. Like I guess it's like a lifetime fraternity that you have with brothers and sisters who serve with you, before you, and after you. And also it gave me the benefits for some money for school. And it gave me a lot back then. Wouldn't get like to get now. Now they get lots and lots of money now school and a lot of extra bonuses we didn't have that option back back then it wasn't that great for us I only had enough money to go a couple semesters of school you know um, but it's a lot of benefits for veterans and that's one thing that also was great about getting out is the respect you get for being a veteran far as if you go apply for a job they're usually going to hire you especially if you got out with an honorable discharge because they feel like you're disciplined enough to do the job and if it's something you don't know how to do you're more disciplined enough to learn it so it makes it easier for you to get a job I have VA so my down payment for any home I get will be uh, covered by military they even come out to your property inspect it for you first to make sure that it's a good property and worth getting and you use that multiple times and I believe it can be passed down to your kid if you don't use it at all so things like that was a great benefit for being in the military that paid off and made getting out of the military easier um, being as I was, I was in Navy I did go to war but I didn't have a really hard hard time like they were on the ground like Marines or Army who were on foot and experienced different types of things than I do they kill people face to face when they have to you know, we do it from a far distance. We don't even see the people, you know. So I don't have, I don't really have the problem of uh, having a mental issue, I don't think, coming from the Navy, unless I was a SEAL, you know, Special Forces, something like that, or like I said, Marines or Army. So those guys that, that, that go to the problem on a whole different level and see things different than what I see, even we deal with the conscience of what we do. We're more damaging, I think, in what we do. It's just not as personal as it is when you're on foot and you're doing the face-to-face. Because if you don't, you're going to die right there. You know, it's a different thing. We did have a, a scare when we was in Desert Storm. We did have a... Because um, at that time, we were dealing with the chemicals. That was a really big thing. He released all that chemicals over there. And we had to go to this training where we get these chemical suits. And when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the general quarters goes off, that means that we possibly could be getting chemicals on this boat. And you have like, I'm going to say, five minutes to get back down to your burden, get your chemical suit on, make sure it's sealed. If you don't make it, we have these two pins 
that we jam in our leg that they inject something because this chemicals is so bad that it feels like your guts is being ripped out. So when I hit you, you don't have a minute before you're gonna be gone. So that's how serious it was. So we had one real general quarters that we had to go down fast and stop everything we're doing the flight deck, yo, and go get our suits on just in case. And what had happened was we had some Navy guys flying high, we had an Air Force flying low, and somehow our plane got through the middle of them and was heading our way. It didn't make it, because like I said, we were surrounded by other boats. They didn't get to us, but they had to call that general, general quarters because it happened. So that's one scary moment. So, um, but other than that, I don't have a mental issue because I wasn't really that heavy in it. You know, like I said, people who are on foot or maybe like seals or whatever. But getting out was a different experience, but I felt good about getting out. Um, but as the years gone by, I miss some aspects of it. I miss the people that I used to hang out with, the funny parts, you know. Uh, I love the traveling. One thing about Navy is that when we leave, we go to Hawaii first to get loaded up. We're there for a couple of days. Uh, we might hit a few places going out. Uh, usually we're there for a week at a time. But when we're done, our deployment was to be about three months. Uh, on our way back to San Diego, we hit places like Japan, Hong Kong, Philippines, Thailand. And every time we go to these places, we have about five days we can go. I've always had 60 days in the book. So I always had uh, use or lose days. I never had to stay duty, because when you pull in a port, sometimes you gotta pull duty. You gotta stay for, on the ship the whole day and to patrol it. I never stood duty any times. I had two deployments, and every time I was able to stay in town the whole time. So it's like vacations. We had we there for like a week every time we go. Australia, Sydney, Perth, we there a week each place, you know, so. So much fun, so many different places I've been. I've seen so many different uh, religions and way people live. Talked to so many different people of all different kind of races, and I miss that aspect of it also. You know, so a lot of things I do miss about the military, uh, being especially the Navy. Uh, it was kind of weird getting out. I was happy that I got out, but I miss a lot of my friends that we don't keep in touch anymore and uh, everything we used to do. So it was, it was great times, man. So that's the life after you get out of military. That's how it is for me in the Navy. It's probably different for somebody else who do ground and pound. Uh, they probably have a way different experience than I have, and it's tougher on those guys. But um, yeah, that's how it was when I got out. y'all enjoy this um, Veterans Day special about my life in the military or a person in the military. I'm not sure how often you get to speak to someone who actually been in and been to a war to be able to get some really, you know, conversation with them. I'm here. If you want to talk about it, we can. You can call in. Uh, but you just listening gives you a little more uh, perspective on it. A lot of people don't really talk about it that much or don't being asked about it. So I thought today would be a good day. There's a way, a lot, a lot more information I could have went over, went through. This could be a very long conversation. So many things we can talk about. Um, and this is a very long podcast today. And if you went through the whole thing at one time, that's great. If you listen to it in parts, I understand. I did the same thing. But I hope you do listen uh, and get a little more perspective about military life 
and being a veteran, being at a young age, doing all this at a young age and being responsible for such high tech equipment and, and lives at such a young age uh, and get an idea how it was. So I get thanks for listening. It's your boy Sincere B. I'll talk to you soon. I'm out of here. Peace. Oh, hell no. You better press that star right next to favorite food.